acknowledge you by worshiping you today and you alone, that there is nobody greater than you. God, we pray that today you will speak to us through your word. May your anointing be upon our preaching, our teaching, and our hearing. And may you be glorified, your people rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me, please, once again to Acts chapter 10. That way you will be able to follow along and keep your Bibles open there. And I want to look at verse, begin with verse 25 and just read a few of the verses that uh, Pastor Harris read so eloquently this morning. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And today I want to uh, preach the second part of a sermon series entitled, uh, expanding the church, tearing down the walls of bigotry and racism. Expanding the church, tearing down the walls of bigotry and racism. Last week, I spent a couple of days uh, in Panama City at the Florida Baptist uh, State Convention. And, and I'm thrilled to uh, report to the, uh, several of the sermons, several of the preachers that I heard were talking about this very same thing and talking about um, um, that there is no place uh, for bigotry and racism in, in the church. Yeah. And I was delighted to hear that. Along with that, um, uh, and you'll hear more about this in Vision 2016, um, our vision this year uh, is to expand our church's outreach on the mission field and and, 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 and Pastor Stevens and other social pastors will be working uh, to, to bring to our church uh, information uh, about mission trips, short-term mission trips. Uh, we have a missionary couple coming uh, next month. We'll talk about that. They have a mission set up in Haiti. Uh, along those same lines, I asked Dr. Jerry Haig, who is the president of the Florida Baptist Children's Home, uh, about the mission trips that they take to places such as Guatemala, and uh, Haiti and Nicaragua, and they go to uh, Uganda, and they, they have a, a mission opening up in Jamaica uh, coming up this summer and several other places. And, and I said, our church is moving in that direction. We have missionaries coming uh, in December, and we're moving in that direction of getting our people mobilized so that some of our people can take short-term mission trips and, and see what it's like and invest their time and energies helping people that really need help. I mean, that's our mission statement, right? Part of it, to know Jesus Christ, to make him known through evangelism, discipleship, and missions. Think of our name. Good Hope what? Missionary Baptist Church, and yet we've done a lot of home missions. We've sent our monies to missions, but how many of us have actually been on a mission trip? And so trying to uh, actualize that dream and that vision of moving out, uh, mobilizing and moving some of our people out that have a burning heart, a desire to be on missions. Um, I asked J uh, Dr. Haig, uh, about the missions of the Florida Baptist Children's Home. We had talked about it several years ago. He says, well, I'm going to have the person who, 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 
directs that department give you a call. And we were standing there in the lobby of First Baptist Church, and 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 sure enough, the next day, the night of the next day, uh, the director of their missions team called me, and um, it was Veterans Day. The, the next day was Veterans Day, so I didn't call him back until the following day once I got home. And he said, "Well, I'm going out of the country in a couple of days." I said, "Well, let's let's meet when you come back." He said, well, he said, can you meet tomorrow, which was Friday? I, I said, well, let's do it when you come back. I hung up the phone, Pastor Stevens, and I was immediately convicted, and I called him back. I said, let's do it Friday. So I went into his office to talk about missions uh, and to talk about our church being involved in mission and expanding our vision. And he began to ask me about the church, about Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, Pastor Haig had told him, Dr. Haig had told him, you need to go over there. You, you need to visit Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church because Dr. Haig has been here. He preached here uh, not long ago. And so he began to ask me some questions about the church. And then he asked me, um, do you have any uh, non-black people attending the church? <laughs> and then he was specific. He said, do you have any white people? And I said, oh, yeah, we sure do. And so I, I told him about Pastor Harris. I mean, I didn't go into detail. <laughs> yeah, but that's coming. I'll tell him the rest of the story. But I just told him enough, you know, where he was, where he worked. And uh, I told him uh, about Brother Mike Argo. And I called his name. And then I told him about Brother Phil. And I called his name. And then I was excited to tell him about Brian. Brian, I told him about you and your, your past, a little bit about it. And he said, oh, oh. That's good, which was a typical response. And I'm looking to move on in the conversation to talk about missions. And he said this to me. He said, because I am looking for a church. He's a white brother. He said, I, I, I'm looking for a church. My wife and I, we're still members of the church in Miami. We've been up here uh, several years or seven years. We haven't found a church yet. And, and unbeknownst to me, he is, he is questioning me about the makeup of our church as a possibility of he and his wife joining. And so I want to commend you, Good Hope. You're making a powerful statement about overcoming bigotry and racism and that we want to we want to we want our ministry to encompass all people part of our vision 2016 will be stepping up our efforts to let all people regardless of race creed color background know that they are welcome here because this is God's church that's what it's about we want you here regardless of your ethnicity so last week, as we looked at scenes one and scenes one and two of the story of how God began to expand the church in the book of Acts by tearing down walls of bigotry and, and, and racism, we saw some interesting things. These walls of bigotry and racism have been in place for many, many years. They were they were standing as obstacles uh, between Jews and Gentiles coming together. The, the walls of bigotry and racism stood as, as, as obstacles between the Jewish nation and the Gentile nation coming together as people of God. And in Cairo's time, in God's time, God said, that's enough. Don't you love it when God says that's enough? 
don't, don't you don't you just get excited when you you get to a junction in the world and you put up with stuff for such a long time and you wonder God when is this gonna ever change when are things gonna ever get better and God says that's enough it's time for change so God set in motion a chain of events that opened the doors of the church, not only to the Jewish people, but to all people. And today in scene three, we find Peter wondering what the vision he'd just seen from heaven, featuring a cast of all types of four-footed animals and wild beasts and creeping things and birds of the air. And, 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 and then hearing the voice saying to him, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Peter is flabbergasted. And he's wondering, he's pondering in his mind, what is this all about? Of course, to which Peter responded, his, his initial reaction was, not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything uncommon or unclean. Peter had not yet learned that no and God did not go together. No and God under any circumstances don't go together. And so God uh, uh, answered Peter and saying, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. You must not call unclean. Now, dramatic, three, uh, dramatic scene three begins with verse 17. While Peter was wondering, about the meaning of the vision, the three men Ananias sent to bring Peter back to him in Caesarea showed up to the door. You remember last week, the, the, uh, Ananias, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, um, uh, Cornelius sent three men out to get Peter and to bring him back. Well, the men showed up at the door. The spirit spoke to Peter, preparing his heart, of course. You know, the spirit does speak to our hearts, preparing our hearts for what is to come. The spirit spoke to uh, Peter. Thus setting his mind at ease concerning these visitors. So Peter went downstairs to meet them. The next day, Peter and some of the brethren from Joppa went to meet Cornelius in Caesarea. When they arrived, they found Cornelius along with his relatives and close friends waiting for them. In other words, Cornelius had so much confidence in, in God and so much confidence in the fact that God was going to answer his prayer and do what he said he was going to do. He was sitting there waiting. How many of us are waiting? God says, I'm going to move. How many of us are waiting? When God says, I'm going to do a thing, how many of us are waiting? When God says, I'm going to heal your body, how many of us are waiting? When God says, I'm going to heal your marriage, how many of us are waiting? When God says, I'm going to make things right on your job, how many of us are waiting in expectation? How many of us go to work waiting for God to do what he says he's going to do? When they arrived, they found Cornelius and his relatives and friends waiting in verse 25 and 26 states, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. A, a tremendous statement. Imagine that. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius fell, met him and fell at his feet and, and worshipped him. But Peter, this, 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 this wonderful man of God, Peter, this sincere man of God. Peter, this man of God who has no agenda but God's agenda. Peter, this man of God who has no insecurity issues uh, about who he is in God. P 
Peter, this man of God that understands his position in God's family. Peter, this man of God who understands his lane and has decided to stay in his lane. Lifted him up. And he said to him, I myself am also a man. What a profound statement. I myself am, am also a man. Now, you got to imagine the scene. This, this is what's happening. God told Cornelius back in verse 6 that Peter, the man of God, was coming to his house to deliver the word of God. Imagine this now. Cornelius is thrilled beyond imagination because his long-awaited dream of hearing a word from God is about to come to fruition. He's been waiting. In fact, he is so excited about what God is doing until when Peter walks in, Cornelius falls at his feet and begins to worship the created instead of the creator which is still a danger for us today when we get excited about people. There's a danger in worshiping the created instead of the creator. That's exactly what Cornelius did. In all of his excitement, when Peter taught Cornelius, his family members and, a close, and his close friends a lesson that all of us would do well to learn and to implement. That lesson is this. Our worship should be reserved, as Quentin sang in the song, for God and God. Are you listening to me this morning? God and God alone. God and God alone. We should, this is the Bible. We should respect people. We should appreciate the gifts and the talents of people when appropriate. We should affirm the good things that God is doing in and through people. We should recognize what people do in the service of God and give credit where credit is due. But under no circumstances should we ever... Are you listening to me? Yes, yes, yes. Under no circumstances should we ever, right. ever, ever worship anyone or anything but God and God alone. Yes, yes. Now, here's a footnote. I'm grateful to God for allowing me to live in America. Now, I've been to a lot of other countries. I've, I've lived in other countries. I've lived in Japan. I lived in Germany. I've visited numerous countries. And they all have great things about them. If, if, I, was, if, I, was, if I was there, I would be grateful to God for, for allowing me to live there. When I lived in Japan, I was grateful to God for allowing me to live in Japan. When I lived in Germany, I was grateful to God for allowing me to live in Germany. Now I live in America. I'm grateful to God for allowing me to live 
in America. God knows that, and I'm sure you are too. Like many of you listening to me today, I've served in the armed forces of the United States. I wore the uniform, served as a chaplain. However, under no circumstances will I worship the president. Under no circumstances will I worship members of Congress, the Senate. I, I respect, but I will not worship. When I was in the military, under no circumstances did I worship military brass. I respected officers and non-commissioned officers and airmen and privates. I respected people, but I never worshipped anybody. Now, some folk have problems with that. You know, when you go back and read the book of Esther, Mordecai had a serious problem because Haman refused to bow down and worship him. In fact, he had all, uh, all the other folk were bowing down, but Mordecai said, under no circumstances will I worship you because my worship is reserved for God and God alone. You might be the supervisor. You might be in charge. You might have the pen, the power of the pen. I will respect you. I'll do my job, but I will not worship you under any conditions. I will worship God and God alone because he sent Jesus, his son, to suffer on Calvary's cross, to suffer, bleed, and die, to pay my sin debt. He got up with all power in his hands. He's coming back again. Jesus Christ alone deserves my worship. God and God alone. Uh, under no circumstances will I worship this country or any other country. Under no circumstances will I worship the flag of the United States or any other idol. I show proper respect, but I will not bow down. I will not worship. And I will not hold it in the same place, the prominent place as God. And I just think it's a travesty. Here's a footnote for you. I've seen churches around this city that has the United States flag flying higher than the Christian flag. In fact, there's one church where the state flag flies so high until it drapes the cross. What message does that send to people? It sends the message that we say one thing, but we are really doing something else. We say we honor God, and he is God of all, but, but by our symbolism says we worship something else rather than the true and living God. That's what it says. That's what it says. Now, respect, yes, but worship, absolutely not. Why? Because my worship, our worship belongs to God and God alone. To be sure, Peter had no problem with Cornelius showing him respect. But worshiping him was totally out of the question. So Peter helped him get up. And then he said to me, cut it out. I'm just a man like you. I have gifts and abilities. I, I have a calling on my life, but I am a man. Now, the Bible is clear on the matter of Christians modeling respect. Romans 13 and 7 
NIV state, give everyone what you owe him if you owe taxes. Now, that's a novel idea, isn't it? <laughs> if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, if you, if you owe a debt, pay your debt. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. No issue with that. First Peter 2.17, then I'd be revealed. Show proper respect to every one. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13, NIV. Now we ask you, brothers. Now, what he says, bro, he's talking about the Christian community. Right. We're talking about folk who know Jesus. Because if folk don't know Jesus, they won't have no respect for God, you, or uh, uh, anybody else. Right. He said, I'm talking to you now who know the Lord. Those of you who come to worship, those of you who come to Bible study, those of you who sing Zion's song, we ask you to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in highest regard and love because of their work. The Bible is clear on the matter that Christians ought to lead the way in terms of modeling respect, respect, respect the deacons, respect your pastor, respect each other, but worship the pastor, no, worship the deacons, no, worship other people, no, absolutely not. Peter points out respecting people and worshiping people are two different things. While we are taught to respect others, our worship is reserved for God and God alone. Peter teaches this principle well in verse 26 when he lifted Cornelius and he says, stand up. God has made you a man. Stand up. God is doing something great in your life. Stand up. You don't have the same calling that I have, but you stand up because God has something in store for you. He said, stand up, I myself am also a man. Peter emphatically declared by his words and his deeds, I am sent by God, but I'm not God. I'm God's designated mouthpiece, but I'm not God. I've been assigned by God to carry his message, his mandate, and his mission, but I'm not God. Peter's declaration reminds me of the humility of that great fiery preacher, John the Baptist. You remember John the Baptist, don't you? John the Baptist, fiery preacher. Yeah, hellfire and brimstone. I mean, John was, John was somebody's preacher. But John vehemently exclaimed to the people, I baptize you with water. Remember that? But one mightier than I. John said, don't get it twisted. Somebody mightier than I am. Is coming. John said, not only that, but whose sandal straps. I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. Listen, he's so great compared to his, I'm nothing. I, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and fasten or unfasten his sandal straps. John said, I baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. John said, I can only go so far, Pastor Sudan, Pastor Joe. Pastor Harris, I, Pastor Steve, I can only go so far and do so much, but I want to point you to the one who has all power. So John says, don't get caught up in what I'm doing. But look to him. 
the bed. That's where we are to be as people of God. We need to be at the place where we understand fully that in spite of our giftedness, in spite of our talents, in spite of our myriad of abilities, accolades, accomplishments, that God is God and we are not. And we don't play God in each other's lives. Some, some years ago, I met a gentleman who was of a different denomination. And uh, we, I was taking a class and, you know, and their denomination was sponsoring the class. And I wasn't really caught up in that. I just wanted to get the information that they had. So he stopped me outside of the classroom door one day, the building outside in the parking lot. He said, oh, so you have decided now to come into the church. <laughs> and I said to him and Pastor Pickett's loving yet firm way, I said, listen, I said, let's get one thing straight. I won't, you, I won't try to be God in your life, and you don't try to be God in mine. He looked at me, he said, okay, and that was the end of it. <laughs> when people come with that kind of nonsense and that kind of foolishness, we need to tell them, there's only one God, God alone. Don't try to be God in my life. I won't try to be God in yours. I didn't climb up on a cross and die for your sins. You didn't climb up on a cross and die for mine. This is between God and me. God save me, not you. After Peter helped Cornelius get his worship priorities straight, he moved forward in conversation by sharing with Cornelius what God had shown him. In verse 28, Peter said, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go out to one of another nation. But, but notice what followed. But God. Now, this is a favorite word around good hope. When you see good, but God, you know something exciting is about to happen. When you see but God, you know God is getting ready to show up and show out. When you see but God, you understand that God is getting ready to do some stuff that's sometimes unprecedented. But God has shown me. Oh, I like that. He didn't say, but Gamal has shown me. He didn't say what they said over in the rabbinical classroom has shown me. He didn't say that, that, that the Pharisees got together and they took. Peter said, no, but God has shown me. How many of you can say God has shown me some stuff? One thing to have people tell you stuff. But how many of you today can say, God has shown me I do what I do and I say what I say and I go what I go because God has shown me. God has shown me. God has shown me that I should not call any man unclean. Oh, what a statement. Oh, what a bold statement. Oh, what a prolific statement. Oh, what a profound statement. Peter said, God has shown me that I should not call any man unclean. Pull that out and give it to the racists. 
Now, let me unpack this statement in, in 21st century vernacular. Peter's saying this. Cornelius, you know for yourself that the law kept Jews and Gentiles apart. You know, Cornelius, that the law forbade us from having fellowship together. In fact, he said, I'm not even supposed to be in your house. You know that up to now, I, along with my Jewish brothers, looked down on you. In fact, I read just a couple of weeks ago that the Jewish nickname for Gentiles was dogs. I, along with my Jewish brothers, looked down on you as well as other Gentiles. But God has opened my eyes. Help me somebody. If there anybody here, God has opened your eyes. You were going one way, but God opened your eyes. You were looking at a situation one way, and God opened your eyes. You had an attitude, but God opened your eyes, and you saw that thing differently. That's what Peter is saying. God opened my eyes and has shown me that Jesus Christ has eliminated, eradicated, and alleviated the distinction between Jews and Gentiles. He said, now, I, I, I didn't get this from rabbinical school. I got this directly from God. He said, as a result, God will, and, 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 and as a result, Peter is saying, God will grow his church consisting of people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, regardless to race, class, or any other caste system. Therefore, since God, Open my eyes. And since God has shown me that I am not to call any man common or unclean, verse 29, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now I ask you then, for what reason have you sent for me? Good God. (laughs) I'm here now. God has shown me some stuff. I'm here because God has opened my eyes. Now, why did you sin for me? Do you see God at work in this scene? God groomed Peter by showing him a heavenly production with a cast of four-footed animals, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. It was a production that caused Peter to take a look at himself and make that change. How many of us take a look at ourselves and make that change? How many of us have looked in God's spiritual mirror and have said to God, oh, God, forgive me. I've been wrong. I've lived wrong. I've done it wrong. My attitude has been wrong. Oh, God, I'm changing today. I was hateful, but I'm changing. I was a bigot, but I'm changing. I was prejudiced, but I was changing. I was unfair, but I'm changing. Production that helped Peter come to the realization that if he was going to participate in what God was doing to expand God's church, he must let go of the old and embrace the new in Jesus Christ. If he was going to impact the mission, he must accept the reality that while the dietary laws of the past had 
been practiced by Jews for hundreds of years. Jesus is Lord even over the law. Jesus is Lord over the past. And get this, get this, get this. Who are we to try to hold God's feet to the fire when God gets ready to move in a different direction? That's what Peter said. Who am I? Far be it from me to get in God's way, to stand in God's way. God said it. Let's go with it. That's all that matters to me. God said it. We must accept the reality that while the dietary laws of the past have been practiced by the Jews for hundreds of years, Jesus Christ is Lord over the, the law and the past. If he was going to participate in this new thing, the expansion of the church, this new thing, the eradication of bigotry and racism, if he was going to participate in this new thing God was about to do, he needed to come to terms with the truth that while traditions of men, customs of society, and folk ways of civilization were embedded in the hearts and the minds of the people, Jesus Christ, the risen Lamb of God, Jesus who suffered, bled, and died on Calvary's cross to save us from our sins, Jesus who got up on the third day, Sunday morning, all power in his hands, he had to understand that Jesus Christ, who's coming back again, superseded, surpassed, and was superior to the traditions, customs, and folk ways of the flesh. Help me somebody. Preach, pastor. Peter was to be God's advocate for change. How many of you know you God's advocate for change? Peter was going to be God's advocate for change. He would have to deal with the crude, the crude and the callous certainty that some of his colleagues, some of his friends, some of his frat brothers would push back, pull back, and even try to pull him down for accepting the ways of Jesus above and beyond the wishes of, of men. So Peter said yes to Jesus. Yes to the mission of Jesus. Yes to the mandate of Jesus. Yes to the ministry of Jesus. Now, now, here, now here's an insight from this scene. Here's where the rubber meets the road. He, he, here's the practical app that I want you to download. All right, all right. The year 2016 is rapidly approaching. And, and 2016 will afford us opportunities to do some, some new stuff. Are y'all listening to me today? 2016 will afford us the opportunity to make some unprecedented moves in ministry. Things that we have not done and moves that we have not made as a church family before. God will be waiting for our answer. Will we answer by saying, God, we've never done this before. Will I answer be, God, this will cost me too much of my time. God, this will cost us too much money. The money that you have graciously, by the way, allowed us to earn and allowed us to give. God, we would, we would rise to the occasion. We would accept the challenge. 
But we are content resting on past laurels. We are comfortable with what we have already accomplished in ministry. And we are complacent where we are, and we really don't want to move. Will that be our answer? Will our answer be to God? God, the risk factors are too high. Uh, uh, there's too much at stake for us to do this. Uh, God, if we do what you called us to do, people will not be pleased. People will not like us. People will not understand us. People will not say good things about us. In fact, God, if we make this move, people might even get ugly and say mean things about us. Not just people who are around us on the outside, but people who are on the inside who may not understand, may not like it. Will that be our answer to God? Will our answer be God? We just sit around the table. We just meet on it. We'll just strategize. We'll just theorize. We'll just philosophize about it. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just rationalize as to how and why the vision won't work instead of doing what you've called us to do.